0: So yesterday, I was um, we'd had a, a busy weekend, a Friday night, with the uh, Pumpkin Festival at the park. And yesterday, up here, we had the North Nashville Hoops, their evaluations, all the way up to sixth grade. And so I, I got home and was kind of relaxing, uh, doing some stuff, and uh, was searching for something to watch. And we, we don't, I told you this, we don't have cable, we don't have satellite, we don't have any of that. And so all the stuff we get is either Netflix or Hulu. Now I was searching through, and it comes up on, when you're on Hulu, a new episode. And one of the new episodes that came up was the Shark Tank. Now, how many of you ever watched Shark Tank? All right. I like Shark Tank. I like watching. I think it's cool. Um, and I, for some reason, probably because of what we're talking about right now and over this next few weeks, uh, the watching Shark Tank. That opening thing that, that most, most of the time I just kind of forgot about, you know, where they're telling where the sharks are from and how much they've made and who they are and how they made their money. For some reason, that caught my attention. And what caught my attention were two guys in particular, um, who is Mark Cuban, the owner of the Dallas Mavericks, and Kevin O'Leary, who they, on the show, called Mr. Wonderful. And they both, when they evaluated them, talked about them in terms of billions with a B. And for a fleeting moment, I thought, man, what would it be like to have billionaire in your name? Like, when he gets introduced now, Mark Cuban, he is billionaire Mark Cuban, owner of the Dallas Mavericks. When Kevin O'Leary gets introduced, he is billionaire Kevin O'Leary. And I thought about that because a few months ago, I was reading a passage of Scripture. You can turn there if you want to. This is First Timothy chapter 6. It's at the end of the book of First Timothy. It's going to be on the screen if you don't have a Bible with you. Or you just really don't want to turn there, all right? In First Timothy chapter 6, starting in verse 17, Paul, who is writing to Timothy, Timothy's a young guy, pastor of a church, first church probably is pastoring, and Paul is writing him some commandments, some things he needs to do, and he says... Command those who are rich in this present world. Now, I don't know about you, but one of the things that I do when I read the Scriptures is, if I read something that I know doesn't apply to me, I go, sometimes I'm glad that doesn't apply to me. Listen, there is plenty in Scripture that applies to me, that hurts me when I read it, and so when I get to something that doesn't apply to me, I'm like, all right, that's good, let's move on. And when I read command those who are rich, you know the one thing I know about myself? I ain't rich. So I'm like, cool, let's see what the rich people gotta do, alright? It's like, I know how some of you wives are when you read that about husbands. Yeah, let's see what the husbands gotta do, alright? Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. But to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. He goes on to tell him this. Command them. It's two commands. Don't be arrogant. Put your trust in the Lord to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so they may take hold of the life that is truly life. And I read that and I thought, boy, I am so glad that I don't have to worry about that because I don't have any of those kind of issues. I'm not rich. I don't have to worry about that. Although sometimes it'd be nice to have to worry about that kind of stuff. Amen. There you go. Sometimes it'd be nice to have to worry about that kind of Business like it'd be good to be rich and you, know, you hear the, the lotto's up and you hear that uh that people are making money hand over fist in this market or that market or you 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 see all the low interest rates and you're gonna refinance and save all this money you see all that stuff. But it'd be nice to be rich and not have to worry about it. A few months ago when I read that I kind of passed over it. And then I started hearing about rich people problems. There are problems with being rich. I don't know if you know this or not, but there are problems for people that are rich. And today what I want to do is I want us to go into the minds of a rich person for a minute. And I want us to think about the problems that are there of being associated with being rich. And then just for our enjoyment, we're going to talk about the rich people. And then we're going to ask ourselves some questions about what it would look like to solve problems that these rich people have. And so here's problem number one. All right. So Paul says, tell all the rich people this. Here's problem number one. Rich people don't like to admit they're rich. Now, this is kind of a crazy thing. We usually don't have problems telling people about exciting things that happen to us. Right. I I use this example a lot, but When people have a baby, they don't generally have an issue telling people they're excited about that. When when a girl gets engaged, usually you don't have to say, really, you ought to tell some people about that. You know, it's there, it's out. When your football team looks like they're not going to win the game and they're down two touchdowns with a couple of minutes left and they come back to win in overtime. You don't have a problem telling people about that, right? Go Vols, right? I got a lot of amens in the first service on that. they love them vows. Vows. But people that are rich have a problem admitting they're rich. They don't want people to think they are. Now, there are reasons for that. Part of it is because a lot of them don't realize they are rich. Here's an interesting survey that Gallup did. They asked people. I want you to think about this in your mind, okay? How much money does someone have to have to be rich? All right, so in your mind, I want you to think about how much money, if that person has this much money, if they make this much money a year, they're rich. Well, Gallup did a huge survey of that. And what they discovered is that whoever they asked had a constant theme that almost everybody when they put it all together now of course there are outliers but when they put it all together the research showed that most Americans believe that in order to be rich all you have to make is twice what they are making and so they asked people that made 30,000 a year and you know what they said to be rich you need to make 60 and they asked the people that make 60 a year and the people that made 60 said you had to make 120. And it really didn't matter how much people were making. They always said people that make double what I make, they are rich. In fact, Money Magazine did this survey. How much liquid assets, how much available income, how much available assets do you need in order to be considered wealthy, in order to be considered rich? And their, <laughs> their people that read Money Magazine replied to this and put back in their subscribers did. And they said in order to be rich, you needed to have five million dollars. Now, here's what they did. They went back and they did a survey after that. How much money do the readers of Money Magazine make? And you know what they found? They make, or they're worth about two and a half million dollars. Here's the conclusion that people came to. Nobody is rich, but everybody knows someone who is. Right? With somebody else. So here's another numbers game. I know y'all love numbers games, all right? I want you to think, and you're going to talk about this amongst yourselves for a minute. How much money do you need to make a year? Since we need to define who the rich are, if we're going to follow these commands, we need to define who the rich are. How much money do you need to make a year to be in the top 4% of wage earners in the entire world? How much money do you need to make in a year to be in the top 4%? All right. I want you to talk about it. Tell everybody what you think there. All right. Anybody got any suggestions? And I don't, some of y'all, listen, some of y'all are like we're in church. So I'm going to, I won't give a good church answer, right? Somebody in the first service, like $100. No, it's not $100, all right? Let's be reasonable, all right? So here it is. I'll tell you, okay? If you make, if you or your household, your household combined household income, is more than $37,000 a year, you are in the top 4% in the world. You want to know something even scarier? If your household combined income is more than $44,000 a year, you're in the top 1%. You are a 1%. Remember all those people occupying Wall Street? They're over you, all right? That's worldwide. That, that's statistical thing. Now, now, that moves a little bit. It may be at 47 or 48 right now. But somewhere between 44 and below 50, you were in the top 1% of the world. Now, if I would have asked you before this sermon started, do you consider the top 1% of wage earners in the world rich? Every one of you would have said, yes. But I didn't hear a single one of you go, woo! I'm rich. Woo! Look at that. I came here feeling bad. And I am rich. You know why? Because you got rich people problems. Nobody admits that they're rich. Problem number one. Problem number two. Rich people are plagued by discontent. Mm hmm anybody hurting now rich people are plagued by discontent here's the thing the reason rich people are plagued by discontent, is a couple of things one reason is they work so hard to try to get rich that once they get rich they don't realize they are rich and as americans the more we make the more we want the more stuff you have the more stuff you need in fact Studies have shown Americans' priorities and needs as we make more and more money draw farther away from actual priorities and needs. Ecclesiastes 5, 10 through 12 says this. Those who love money will never have enough money to make them happy. It's also the same for the one who loves to get many things. This is also for nothing. When there are more good things... There are also more people to eat them. One of the translations I like of this says, when you have more stuff, more people show up to spend it. You got an amen out there? We don't need personal testimony, just that. So what good is wealth? Except perhaps to watch it slip through your fingers. People who work hard sleep well, whether they eat little or much. But the rich seldom get a good night's sleep. You know you always need in fact one of the uh, one of the ways you can kind of tell this is that rich people are always talking about upgrading or they are upgrading like, like for instance i heard about these rich people that they had a car that was working perfectly well it just it was a little little older had a few miles on it and they drove it to this place that had all these other cars sitting around and they left their car with that place, to take another car that functions just as well as the one they had. But they end up paying a lot of money to this place with the cars to take the new car off the lot. Or heard about this rich family that had a kitchen and they had counters and a microwave and a stove and a refrigerator. And they all worked great. They were functional. Everything was fine. But they decided they didn't like those much anymore, so they ripped all of it out so they could put in a new countertop and... Microwave and stove and refrigerator that worked the same as what they had before. Or I heard about these, this, 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 these some rich people that they went to this store and it's a store with a fruit uh, because there was a new phone coming out and they stood in line for the phone and they let people know they were standing in line for the phone by tweeting on the phone that they already had that worked perfectly well. Or no, this is the craziest probably of all. The, these rich people I know, they um, they went into these people are so rich. They have a room just for their clothes. They call it a closet. And they walked into their closet and there were clothes all around the closet and they stood in the midst of it and looked at all of these clothes all around and says, I don't have anything to wear. You've heard of these rich people. Never enough. I know, I've done gone to Medlin. It's just... Rich people are plagued by discontent. Here's the last of the rich people problems, all right? Rich people live with a false sense of security. They think that they've got enough money in the bank. They think they've got enough stuff saved up. They think they've got their affairs in order, that it will prevent any kind of difficulty or harm causing them major problems. In fact, they call this having financial security. Save their way to safety. I, I want to be financially secure. Look at what Proverbs 18.11 says. It says, the wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine. Now, the key word there is imagine. That it is a wall too high to scale. Let me ask you a quick question. Those of you that that deal with your family's finances and look to, you know, predict futures and what could happen and what might happen, how much money would you need to guard yourself completely against anything that might come along? I can give you a quick answer. It's more than you got. Rich people problems. They don't like to admit they're rich. They don't ever find contentment and they think that they can find their security in their financial gain. Well, let's talk about the, the, those people, right? Those rich people. What are the kind of antidotes to those problems? What are the solutions to those problems? Because Paul tells Timothy to, to tell them to, to be like this. And, and he tells them in there not, not, to, not to be arrogant about it, not to put their trust in themselves but to do good. And so what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, the truth is we're going to look at that for the next three weeks, but I want to give you three quick things that helps us get our mind kind of around this. It helps us to think about how to be rich. Here's the truth. And we kind of did this in jest with those three, but it, it is true. You're rich. Most of us in this room are Rich. Now, I didn't ask if you felt like it. There's a difference between feeling like it and being it. I didn't ask what your bank account says. I I just know that compared to the rest of the world, we are rich. And so if we're going to be rich, we might as well be good at it. Three things real quickly and then we're going to go. First of all, I don't want you to be guilty. I, I, I didn't bring you here to be guilty. I want you to be grateful. Here's the truth. A lot of times this is where in the sermon the pastor turns. It's like, oh, don't you feel terrible about that? You need to get out of your guilt. You need to give. I don't think scripture ever teaches that we give out of guilt or that we live out of guilt or that we do anything out of guilt because it's not a good motivator. What we do is we become grateful for what we have. I don't think God gave you stuff to feel guilty about having stuff. Now, we can talk about what kind of stuff you're buying and whether it's what God intended you to buy, but I don't think He wants you to go, oh, I feel so guilty, all this stuff God gave me. But He does expect us to be grateful about it. We are now entering into my favorite time of year. I'll be real honest with you Halloween's not my thing. All right? I like to go and get a cup of coffee at Starbucks and not worry a zombie's going to give it to me. Right, freaked me out a little bit the other day. Pulled up, gave him my day, and all, you know, with a with a, with a dagger through the head, like can, just a normal person. Could you dress up as a Starbucks barista? How about we do that, all right? And I love when we turn to November. I love the the leaves turning. I, I love, I, I don't necessarily love the cold in the air. I like a, a chill in the air. I don't like 20 degrees in the air. And I love this season because we begin to focus on some really important stuff. I mean, In the month of November, we talk about gratitude and thanksgiving. And in the month of December, we, we focus our attention on God's gift to us. And so I, I want, this is what really ought to happen. The antidote to not admitting you're rich is to be grateful for what you have. Man, I am grateful for what God has given me. Last night, we were sitting around the table and it was one of those days It had been cold. We would had a busy weekend with Friday night at the park and Saturday and we put some soup on and we're kind of letting it kind of simmer and get ready and we ate a little later than usual and we got around the table and some of you that are families know how rare it is sometimes to actually get everybody around the table and have a meal and not have any kind of rush you're not you're not thinking we got to get the, you know the extra hour sleep helps and so you're not thinking we got to get to bed we got to get to bed and so you're just kind of there and, and in the midst of that we were we were talking and I, I just kind of said knowing what I was preaching on today and knowing I'd just been going through my mind I said hey I just want to take a moment it's a month we talk about Thanksgiving let's just go around the table and have a time where we all share what we're thankful for and I'll just be real honest with you it was not the uh Walton's family moment I was expecting <laughs> because with my kids they soon began to compete who could come up with the silliest thing to be thankful for and we're laughing about it and I was trying to rein them in you know I felt like sometimes like a I'd lost the crowd like a sermon on Sunday morning They're like come on come back with me come on And in the midst of all of that, we were sitting there, and we and I was trying to rein him in and talk about, well, you know, yeah, okay, that that's God did give us that, that's all right. But but let's try to think bigger. Let's think, you know, I'm expecting. I love my daddy. I am so thankful for him. Not. Nope, that's not it. Come out. And as we're trying to rein everybody back in, Eli kind of looks at everybody over the side and says, "Well, you know, Dad." Basically, anything good that we have is all because God gave it to us. That's what I've been trying to say. And the response God expects from us isn't anything but gratitude. A moment you can step away from the American idea of I pulled myself up by my own bootstraps. I did it all on my own. I worked my way, did two jobs through college so I could make something of myself. If you would just get out there and do it, you could do it yourself. It's all about what you do. It's about your hard work. It's about your labor. It's about you. If you could just step back for a moment and realize that it really isn't about you, it is all because God has graciously given it to us. It makes it much easier when it's not about you to give thanks for what you have. Not to be ashamed of it. I'm going to go in the next week or so to the Tennessee Baptist Convention. And one of the things that always happens at Tennessee Baptist, you pastors get around, they talk about churches, and sometimes it's almost bad to say anything good about your church. You say, how your church? Go, oh, that's, man, we, got, we don't know. We're, I mean, Alan, am I speaking the truth here? Man, it, it, it's just how you're like, oh. And so then, well, how's your church going? And in my heart, in my mind, I'm like, I love it. Things are going great. I've been a pastor, but you're like... Uh, uh, You know, how do you respond to that? You just want Pastor to go, I'm grateful. And I, I want to tell you, I am so grateful that God has me here. I'm so grateful. I mean, we recognized Alan. We recognized Jeff. I am so grateful for the staff that we have here. In my 13 years of serving as a pastor, I am more confident and more comfortable and feel more aligned with this staff than I have at any moment in my ministry. And I love it, and I am grateful. I'm grateful to be the pastor of First Baptist Goodlettsville. I'm grateful for the things that God is doing. And when I go next week, I'm going to try not to sound like somebody that's arrogant and proud because I'm not, it's not me, it's not us, it's God. But I am excited about what God's doing, and I want people to know that. We're going to be grateful for it. And in your life, when I said you're rich, most of you are like, no, 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 no. No, I'm not. That's somebody else, Pastor. I'm not. I know somebody that is, I'm not. Say, yes, I am. And I'm thankful. I'm grateful. I'm grateful that God allowed me to be born into this country. I didn't have choice about that. I'm grateful to be part of a community that's part of a greater area. That's growing financially. That's growing number of people. That's growing in importance in the world. That it's becoming a center where people are coming. And that influence can go out of this place. I'm grateful for all those things in my life. One of my favorite stories in the Old Testament is a story of, of uh david and the people of israel david says it's time to build the temple and he says listen we got to give to make this temple happen and it's going to be beautiful it's going to be glorifying to god so we got to give a lot we got to give lots of stuff and david said i'm going to be the first one to give now here's what happens all right david gives and when i say david gives he gives now when you read it in scripture you're like oh that's cool he gave a bunch of talents in fact, when you read it, it says that David gave 3,000 talents of gold. That didn't make any sense to us because we don't know what a talent is. Let me tell you that a talent was about 75 pounds. So if you just do the math and you don't have to because I did it for you, that's around 225,000 pounds of gold. Now, I don't know if you know the price of gold today. I tried to figure out how much the price of gold per pound It's somewhere, now I may be wrong. We got a couple of bankers around here. Don't, don't hold me to this, but it's, it's a good estimation. Somewhere around 3 billion. With a B, that was David's gift to the temple fund. How you feel about yours? All right. That's two hundred twenty-five thousand pounds of gold. He gave five hundred twenty-five thousand pounds of silver. He gives all that. Then the leaders come and uh, they gave five thousand talents. So five thousand times seventy-five, whatever that is, right? A lot. And ten thousand derricks of gold. And 10,000 talents of silver. I give it all this stuff, alright? And David does all this, tells all the people about this. This is what's happening. And the people of God are so excited because they have been taken out of slavery in Egypt. They have been given a leader in David. They have been unified as a country. And this small insignificant slave country from a few hundred years ago is now a thriving world power that is about to have a temple that demonstrates to the rest of the world how powerful their God is and how important he thinks they are. And they are overwhelmed with the fact that God has done all of this in their land. And they start bringing to give and they give so much that david finally says stop now, can you imagine that listen i got a list of about 20 things we would do right here and people started giving it'd be a long time before we got to the stop amen i got an amen there david says stop and he prays over him and he says he says he prays to the lord in the presence of the whole assembly saying Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our Father Israel, for everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and on earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You're exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of things. and your hands are strength and power and exalt to give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks. And we praise your glorious name. And then he says this. But who am I? What is my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything that comes forth from you. We have given you only what already comes from you. It's a beautiful picture of gratitude. And the cure to the second part of that rich people problem is not just going to be grateful, but that you're going to lead with generosity. What do I mean lead with generosity? I mean, that means that you give of your time, of your talents, of what you have first. Then you spend. Listen, God's not upset that you spend. God's not mad that you spend. God's not looking at you going, "Ooh, look at that, I can't believe you spent. But he does want you to lead with generosity. Jesus said that where your treasure is, your heart will also be. Where your treasure is, your heart. Will also be. In other words, your generosity leads and your heart follows. You want to know the secret to contentment? The secret to contentment is to lead with giving. Now, I'm not just talking about giving to the church, although we we are fine with you giving to the church. I'm just talking about a life of generosity. Where the first thing that you think comes out of your bank account when your check gets to you each month is not what do I have to pay? What do I have to spend? But what can I give? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. I will lead with generosity. I will lead and allow myself to follow. Acts 20, it's not going to be on the screen. Verse 35 They're reminding them what Jesus says and says, you remember that our master said it's far happier giving than it is getting. And here's the last cure for the rich people problem. I'll put my hope in God. You don't put your hope in a financial security. You don't put your hope in a savings account. You don't put your hope in building up enough wealth. In fact, Jesus spoke to people that said that they were going to fill silos and barns and feed everything and get ready for every possible calamity. And Jesus says, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. And the point of that parable is it is ridiculous to think that money has any security in it at all. In Proverbs chapter 30, verse 8 and 9, it says, Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me my daily bread. Now think about that. When's the last time you prayed? God, I don't want a lot of money and I don't want too little money. Just give me exactly what I need today. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only daily bread. Then he tells why. He says, because if I have too much, I may disown you and say, who is the Lord? I got all I need. And if I become poor, I may have to steal and dishonor the name of my God. I don't want too much and I don't want too little. I want exactly what I'm supposed to have today. And the reason for that is because we have a tendency to trust in our stuff. Do you know what Jesus talked about more than any other subject? Money. Not heaven, not hell, not faith, but money. In fact, he talked about money more than heaven and hell combined. Now, here's the reason. It's because he knew, and you know deep down somewhere... That the biggest competitor with God for your soul is not some evil out there. It's your own stuff. That's why he says, when he says you can only serve one master, you either love one and hate the other or hate one and love the other. You cannot serve both God and money. There are a lot of things he could have filled that blank in with. But he said money the biggest rich person problem is when you put your trust in your stuff and in your funds and your accounts. And you don't put it in the Lord. So here's what we're doing over the next three weeks. We're going to talk about how to be good at being rich. If you want to walk out here today and put on Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, Google Plus, any other strange social media network out there, I am rich. Because you are. Well, over the next three weeks we're going to talk about how to be good at it. Because if we are, we might as well be good at it, right? So you're like, I don't want to admit I am. I know you got rich person problem number one. Now my hope today is that as we look at this and we think about it, that we do begin to ask ourselves the question what does it look like that God has entrusted our country our community, our church with so much. How should we use it for the glory of his name and the spread of his kingdom? Let's pray together.